tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Mail bombings, Loving's Lost Love, Go Ask Alice, and Sal and Sally. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Crystal. Yeah. Did you have anything for this opening, or do I have to do do I tell my uh, cat story? I'm not I was unclear. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, other than uh than um you know the world getting turned upside down, I decided since things had calmed down a little bit here and old Los Angeles uh, this morning to go out and get a get a iced coffee and a pastry which I haven't done in many many months I see and not just not just because of uh, you know all the lockdown stuff but just in general I hadn't done that it's a beautiful day well and, uh, I don't like coffee <clears throat> but pastry sound uh-huh. appealing what, what kind of pastry did you get? I got um I got a chocolate croissant mm. and uh I got a medium cold brew and let me listen I haven't been drinking a ton of coffee generally speaking but I've certainly haven't been drinking coffee other people have made and I have to tell you that cold brew today was basically like running like wily coyote st- no who does the running the road runner the ball? The Roadrunner. Meep, meep. Like the, yeah, the Roadrunner running full speed into a painted tunnel uh, that the coyote has put. What Basically what I'm saying is the cold brew today basically had the effect of, as I would think, if I had done like a bunch of rails of cocaine (laughs) and then just, and then just I hit a wall. I was so buzzed and then i just died like i was so awake and then i just hit the wall and then died so actually we were supposed to start this at five and i kind of dozed off you you dozed off yes that's that's okay and it left me wondering how caffeine is legal and widely available good lord i i definitely needed like how many cans of cherry coke did i drink on my recent double shift at my job mm-hmm. S- seven eight oh my god yeah that's so that's so much sugar it is um hey let me ask you a question yeah and i post this i pose this to my significant other david the other day and he didn't really i'm flattered to be in I his company he didn't really dive in the way I wanted to on this. So, are you? Let me ask first. Are you a fan of Gatorade? Uh yeah. I mean, if it's, I find if it's a hot day and I'm at, doing something really physical, um, not not if 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 I was the kind of person who who shot hoops during the middle of a hot day, I might be drinking a Gatorade. I I would okay. usually bring one or two with me when I was doing the mosquito job. Yeah, or hungover, as you discovered in my case that one time. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> okay, so what's other than Mountain Dew code, code Red? Like, what's your favorite 
sugary beverage? Usually, for much of my life, it's been Sprite. Uh, I really, okay. I really enjoy Sprite. Uh, though I do get on this cherry coke kick on occasion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those would probably be the main contenders, I, I would say. Yes. Okay. The reason I asked about Gatorade is because when I posed this to, to Dave, it was a Gatorade-based question. But right. let me ask you this. Okay. Here's a scenario. Would you rather that the only Coca-Cola product left on Earth that's available okay. to you is like diet vanilla coke that's your only coke option okay or instead of sprite or seven up or whatever the only uh lemon lime type beverage available to you is like a diet sierra mist so which world are you which world do you choose in this scenario god well you know, if you uh, to subject our listeners to more talk about the University of Nevada Reno, which we know is their favorite topic, um, <laughs> that's what <laughs> they keep telling us. Yes, uh, I when when I started my freshman year as an undergrad at UNR, they had uh, Coke products, so I got to drink mm-hmm. all the the Sprite I wanted in the dining commons. But then during my sophomore year. They switched to Pepsi, and so it was. Oh, Ci- uh-huh. Yeah, so it was the Sierra Mist, and it was my first. I was like, "Oh, uh, that's not Sprite, but I'm sure it's just the same." <laughs> and the yeah. experience I had with that Sierra Mist was so repugnant to me. <laughs> no, that oh, no. I don't think I consumed any Sierra Mist for at least another 15 years. Wow. Um, now, I find uh, I have dr- drank it a few times uh, more recently. Uh, last year, I was kind of, I had this obsession with eating in the UNR dining hall, which I went right. to a couple of times. And I tried the Sierra Mist. I was like, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. I mean, I think maybe they've changed the formula or something because my mm-hmm. my original objection was original Sierra Mist was just it was so sweet. I think it just seems right. Um, this uh, whatever stuff, whatever chemicals they're pumping into it now felt like it was a little bit closer to the the sort of zesty lemon lime sort of taste. But mm-hmm. God damn, a uh, diet Sierra Mist. Hmm. Shit. Versus a Diet Coke, which is a uh, uh, well, vanilla Diet Coke. I have to pick one world, world or the other. They're both kind of unknown entities, but I don't know. I guess, I guess I'll give the. Uh, oh gosh. Oh man. Um. And I. Well, I can only make this choice once. Yeah. Oh, God. And diet beverages, they all, they're all they all just crap anyway. Uh, I guess diet, I guess diet, vanilla diet Coke. So that's the one you, that's the one um, you choose to give up are the full octane Cokes. 
So you're choosing the world that has Sprite, but it also the only Coke Coca-Cola product is Diet Vanilla Coke. That's what you're choosing. Okay, wait, maybe I misunderstood the premise of your question. Um, so are there uh, there's there's other sodas available be, beyond is yeah yeah you're just you're just choosing oh. a world where only diet vanilla coke exists as a coke product or, or only diet serum exists as a lemon lime soda well i've but really, all other sodas available I've, you just have to give up sprite or coke products god i really cocked that one up didn't i uh <laughs> okay that changes things um okay Please take your time. On yes, <laughs> I'm sure Con- I post to you. <laughs> Con- Con- Connor can edit out any lengthy pauses where I really ponder this. Take your time. No hurry here. Uh, yeah, he could. Now, Sir, now when when you say Coke products, you mean like everything Coke owns, or just the Cokes like well, Coca Cola, Coke, Coke owns Sprite, right? Yeah. So, so- if I. So, so it's just a, it's a, 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 a line of products is being eliminated here with okay. the exception of, of one thing. Ice. I, well, in that case, cause really Sprite would be eliminated no matter what choice I make. Right. Cause no, it, no, Sprite never, you know what? Never mind. No, 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 no. There's either a world where Sprite still exists or where regular, all the Coke, Coca-Cola, the cola products exist. Uh I'll I'll take the world where it's Sprite. One or the other. I'll take the world where Sprite still exists. Okay. I can give up Coke Noted. I can give up Coke, Cherry Coke, and all of its derivatives and other weirdo stuff it owns. Uh, Sprite, Sprite would will be sufficient. Okay. We've made we've made a decision. You did it! You did it! I knew you would! I just knew you would! Hey, should we uh, maybe talk about an episode of Unsolved Mysteries? What did Dave answer with? Did he just really um, give a non-committal, he... like, eh, Um, I don't even remember, because his choice was something, it was either, it was like, you, you get a world where only diet vanilla Coke exists, or, um... Gatorade Zero exists. Okay. So I was asking him to choose between full octane. Like in my scenario, the regular Diet Coke didn't exist. Gotcha. So that was his that was his one that he had to give up. So. Alright, let's go ahead and talk about unsolved mysteries then. Our first segment uh takes us back to the early nineteen nineties. Uh for those as as many of these episodes of Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries do. <laughs> I guess that is true. Touche, Crystal. Touche. Um, for those Zoomers who may be unfamiliar, Pat Robertson was a well-known televangelist. He's still around, but nowhere near as omnipresent as he used to be. Um, he had he was basically the guy behind the Seven Hundred Club that aired on C- uh-huh. CBN. Uh, and that's the Christian Broadcast Network. In case you didn't know what that was, right, right. Uh, so this segment deals with bombs being sent to televangelists. <laughs> um, this 
in this case, we get a recounting of the mail operations at Robertson's headquarters in Virginia. Mm-hmm. I think it's Virginia Beach, Virginia. Yeah. Yes. If I recall. On a, what was it, a 6,000-acre property or something? 600? Yeah. It, it was I mean, huge. This building, the, this building looked like a goddamn plantation that they showed. Yes. Uh, on Unsolved Mysteries. And they receive an obscene number of letters each day, like thousands, right? Mostly all yeah, people sending yeah. in donations. Uh, yeah. Um. Can we can we take like a second here? Um. On the seven hundred club, can we just take like a second on this? Yeah. Sure. Um. So my my uh my grandmother, who's now deceased, um, well she's been deceased for many years, but she uh, late in life um became a born again Christian, and mm-hmm. she uh I remember the seven hundred club being on a lot oh god oh god and my poor grandfather uh who loved my grandmother very very much i can't even fathom how much of his our hard earned money went to this uh scam (laughs) oh no oh no it was yeah it was a lot it was like a lot dude Oh God! Yeah, I'm... I mean, I remember Pat Robertson's stupid face. Um, you know, trying to lay hands, trying to pray through the TV. This is the, this is the brand that I grew up with. You know what I'm saying? This right. is the brand of Christianity I grew up with. Is like, oh no, mega not... church. Oh yeah. no, this is it, baby. I mean, what what are the odds you think that like? I mean. That Pat Robertson literally does not believe in any sort of religious ideas. Like, I mean, because I occasionally you see him like they, the mainstream news report. He'll say something like, you know, well, a few years ago he was talking about, was it that Creation Museum or something? And he was saying something like, look, we got to. Uh, we we can't get bogged down in talking about stuff like that. This we we know the Earth is billions of years old, and, da, 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 and it's just like this weird candidness that like can only come from someone who doesn't actually believe in something, but has put on such a remarkable show of believing in something that like he can just he feels emboldened to just say whatever on occasion or something. It's so. It, it's just so tawdry. I mean, the, the, his whole program is just like, send me money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's the idea. Send, send, send us money and your prayers will work better. God. We'll, uh, it's like a tip for God, you know? Right. Okay. Is that, that's how it works. That's good to know. Good to know. I guess. So, anyways, please, please continue. So, so it's not just uh, it's not just Crystal's grandfather's <laughs> weekly wages being sent in. They were also uh, received packages, and I guess uh, they had a actually a X ray machine and set up in case anything 
uh, destructive or combustible came in. And as it so happened on April 27th, 1990, Scott Sheepers, one of the security guards there, was examining a package. He ran it through the metal detector or what x-ray machine or whatever it was didn't see anything nefarious but he was opening it up but if i recall correctly he was kind of standing as far from it as he could while he was opening it up yeah and uh uh, shockingly enough it explodes um he ends up getting some uh, damage to his leg and lower abdomen because if mm. he I guess if he hadn't stepped back he would uh, they he would have just ended up with a big hole in his chest so um, yeah um and the explosion itself in the reenactment is just kind of like a confetti pop <laughs> maybe that's why like because he said that he didn't see anything that looked dangerous when when he put it through the mm. uh when he put it through the x-ray machine maybe that's because it was a giant confetti pop uh, the yeah. most dangerous confetti pop. So, yeah, he was injured. Well, I mean, like, shrapnel is just deadly confetti. That's, that, that is probably the, the most awesome thing that anyone has thought of for this. (laughs) Deadly confetti. I'm going to have to remember that. Okay. Well, it's probably going to be the episode title now. Yeah, yeah. Find a better one in this uh the robert robertson 700 club was not the only recipient of a bomb we uh we also get introduced to uh another televangelist pastor Mm -hmm. john ost uh, austin 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 Mm -hmm. is he related yeah crystal is he related to joe austin yeah, you've probably heard of Joel Austin, and Austin. John Austin is Joel Austin's father. Ah, the family business. And you know what? Yeah, <laughs> and he uh, has a. So John Austin started this Lakewood church in Houston, Texas, and it was really one of the first like mega churches. It was he, the, like, like it sat. Yeah, when, thousands of people could come to service. Yeah, I mean, you could you could and, pl- you could play an NBA game in there. For sure. And um, I really I didn't watch the whole series, but there was a recently a series on HBO called, I think, the Righteous Righteous Gemstones or something. And I really think after we get an interview with the daughter here um, (laughs) that the Austin family is probably what that show is loosely based on. Very loosely based. on. Oh, interesting. Yeah, if so, I ha- I mean if I had to guess what their inspiration was, that the, the what's that called again? The precious jewel stones. The righteous gemstones, I think, was the name of the show. It came out like last in the last year. It had John Goodman in it. And oh yes, and, I, I I saw the 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 yeah. previews for that. Well, I mean, yeah. I I I figured they're probably just a composite of numerous televangelists. Oh totally, yeah. <laughs> but I just when we get to when we get to Lisa Combs and the uh interview portion of this who's uh john austin's daughter when we get to this i'm i want she's a one-for-one translation to a character in that hbo show yeah no question oh wow okay yeah so lisa is the person who opens up their uh, exploding package um 
you know, ends up with third degree burns and some cuts on her right leg and abdomen. Uh, it was interesting. She, she, she expressed the sentiment that she, I mean, she just went ahead and opened it because they had never been worried about packages that they received mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. which is so fascinating because I think about Pat Robert, Rob, Robertson's operation has a x-ray machine, which how many, how many bombs was he getting sent back in the day? <laughs> I mean, enough to justify I, the enough. yeah to, to justify the investment. Uh, um, yeah, I, I guess I guess one is enough to justify an investment. Yeah, but it didn't prevent at least the second one. So no. Uh, so she ends up uh, uh, with her own explosion. Uh, she she's back at work like three or four weeks later. Um. And uh, she has a little message to the uh, person who sent it, where she's like, my thing I'm saying to you is, I'm just asking you to turn yourself in. <laughs> Inspiring words. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the post, yeah, I guess the, uh, the, I guess this, this, this bomb, I, I was so, when I first saw the bombing mentioned at the, in the intro to this episode, where they talk about the different segments, I began to wonder, like, because I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on the Unabomber, so I don't know what his timeline was. I was like, is this, like, a segment that turns out to be about the Unabomber before we even knew he was a thing? But I guess it's um, it's unrelated. Um, all, yeah. all we get is, like, the the authorities, they they put together this conjecture that this individual was someone that... Other people have noticed that he had an extreme personality change recently. Yeah, he would have been someone who had a personality change or something. Yeah, they really didn't have much information other than they somewhat the bombs were mailed from small towns near Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yeah, that's really all they have. And that how the, how is it they ended up with that sketch? Because they have like a, uh, a sketch of the guy. I guess that's whoever like received the packages and mailed them described the guy. But this is this is the description in the wiki. Okay. Okay. Described as a neatly dressed white male be between five ten to six feet tall, one hundred sixty to one hundred seventy five pounds, with brown hair. So that in 1991 he was he was believed to be between 28 and 35 years of age. They just describe like most of the adult population. <laughs> they, they 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 narrowed it down to about 78 million suspects. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> no surprise that uh, uh, they didn't actually catch this guy then. Yeah. No update on this one, huh? Yeah. Did he have any other things you wanted to say about Pat Robertson's cash cash scheme? Or rather, um, or rather, I, I mean the I the bombing segment. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not super stoked that um, Pat Robertson and those people were like. I mean, I guess the this, this the difference is that John Austin's tele televised uh, broadcast um, never asked for donations the way the 700 club did with Pat Robertson. So, you know, as much as I would like to have not had my family scammed by um, Pat Robertson and the 700 club, I don't, what are you doing sending a pipe bomb? 
Yeah, I. What do you have any ideas what the background <clears throat> motivation was of this individual? I no. I I mean yeah, because that's the thing. If it was just Robertson or like some of the other like you know just cash grabbing guys, I I would wonder like I my my conjecture my my hypothesis. That's not even a hypothesis. Just my idea that popped in my head would be that maybe it was someone who sent money out because they were in dire straits mm. and surprise, surprise, it didn't do anything. So they like, they felt that they felt they had been scammed somehow, maybe not like fully understanding the nature of the scam. Just like, Hey, I sent in my money and I've yet to get my returns. So here's right. Here's what I think about that. But like you mentioned, the, uh, the other recipient of a bomb in this segment uh, didn't actually ask for money on the air, so no. Mm, who knows that? Uh, who if it's the same person? Who knows? Hmm. Well, no one. I mean, well, yeah, no one knows. This person got away with it. The shadow so. knows. <laughs> <laughs> So the next segment, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna preference pref, preference it pref, good lord, I'm gonna preface this by putting a little um, little T dub a little trigger warning at the beginning of it because um, it's gonna it's gonna be unpleasant uh, unpleasant topic for about I don't know uh, two minutes and then so if you just want to fast forward at this point. Um, uh-huh. Uh, it's, it has to do with sexual assault. So just go ahead and do, do, do fast forward two minutes and um, we will catch you uh, on the other side of it. So um, we're going to talk about Kathy Loving, who in 1961, she was uh, about 14 years old and she lived in the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Um, you know, I, I will give Unsolved Mysteries some credit in the reenactment here. They did not try to portray the heavily black area of the south side of Chicago, Illinois, as some kind of war zone in the 1960s. <laughs> they portrayed it as the uh, warm and safe middle class neighborhood that it, it was at the time. And the only reason I know anything about that is because I read Michelle Obama's autobiography. So moving quite along, Kathy Loving is 14. Um, she, uh, the, the reenactment starts with, um, her, her, uh, the actor playing her, uh, waking up, um, after some kind of wild party that her stepfather, who was a cop, uh, had thrown, um, you know, Kathy was fed alcohol. She was, uh, abused and, and, and sexually assaulted. Right. Uh, this is not unsolved mysteries word. This is the word I'm using raped by her stepfather. Uh-huh. Uh, Clifford Starks. Um, so the next morning, Kathy, you know, she, even though she had been fed alcohol, is a pretty good indication of what had happened the night before. And she writes a note um, saying she's running away. Um, so she, she ran away, but she, you know, like didn't have anywhere to go, I guess. And so she got picked up again by the Starks. Um, she was held prisoner in a relative's apartment for about a week when Kathy tried to get help. Uh, she, she was somehow able to escape from that situation. She went to a police station. And um, in the reenactment, she is... Uh, oh, I, I forgot to mention, um, 
Kathy, uh, Kathy Gloving is a black woman and yes. her uh, stepfather Clifford is, is also black. And in the reenactment, the uh, cop that she's initially shown talking to is a, um, a black uh, female uniformed officer. Mm-hmm. And the officer in that situation is, is trying to tell Kathy, like Kathy's pretending to have amnesia because her idea was if she didn't tell the cops, where she had come from, she couldn't be returned there. Like, like, and, like so many amnesia cases and unsolved mysteries, she was faking it. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, in this one, she clear, she, she, it was her tactic to try and fake having amnesia. So, so she couldn't give her name or where she came from, then she wouldn't have to be returned there. It makes sense. And, uh, I'm actually impressed. I, I never thought of that. Yeah. But that like, it seems like a legit idea. Yeah. I think, I think her, her idea was at that time, you know, if she had amnesia, she thought maybe the cops would throw her into like a psychiatric hospital or something. Yeah. And, um, so eventually, and, and in the reenactment, uh, the the female officer tells Kathy, you know, if if this is all true and you have other siblings at home, you need to think about telling us who you are so we can help get them out of the home, too. Mm-hmm. So Kathy eventually relents and, and tells them, uh, you know, who she is and where she came from. Well, who do they call? <laughs> who do they call? They call, uh, you know, the guy she just... Uh, said was doing bad stuff to her her stepdad and the uh cops do the old uh handshake and it's all good and um the uh precinct basically gives kathy the option is if you either go home with this man or you go into uh, uh juvie and kathy chooses juvie so she has a court date set up and a bunch of her uh friends and some other extended relatives from the neighborhood show up to kind of support her and give testimony and, and basically just say, you know, if she needs somewhere to go. She, she has a home with us, which I don't really understand why she didn't run away to these people in the first place. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm this. Was... I, feel, I just feel like a detail is missing. Yeah. Here, so. I agree. Um, Cause if she had all the support, like why didn't she run away? So, I don't know. Maybe she gained the support. Yeah, maybe I don't. I don't know. Yeah, something. (sighs) Okay, so uh, so the uh, the judge decides to take the word over uh, this cop Clifford over everyone else. They have a closed session, and and Clifford basically says, you know, Kathy's this delinquent. She's a prostitute, and she uses drugs and all this other stuff that isn't true, and. so they determine that they're going to send Kathy from juvie jail up to some reform school, which is basically like, you know, going to the upstate penitentiary for the, bad young ladies. Yes, yeah, the Illinois State Training School for Girls. Uh, at, yeah, which, she just, and Kathy just calls it Geneva. Right. In this uh, in this case. Like, the name of that institution is so condescending and infantilizing. I, you know, it almost, I mean, it almost sounds like the name, I mean, obviously, like you said, this is obviously some sort of, you know, security prison type sort of place. But I have to admit, when I saw the sign, I was like, 
Are they sending her to a finishing school? <laughs> the training <laughs> school for girls. I, I well, guess, I mean, her. I guess I just, I just her had future would have been finished. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. Um, I guess I only really thought of that because I was at the current moment. I'm actually trying to write a short story that takes place at a finishing school. <laughs> uh, what kind of story is it, Robbie? Uh. Anyway, moving on. A historically accurate one? Uh, and historically, actually, for the most part, yeah. Uh, okay. That, that, that depends, though, if you consider ghosts to be... I guess ghosts really don't affect something's historical accuracy one way or another, right? Like... Um, no. As, as, long, no, as, long, as long as it's clothes are period appropriate. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I why do I get the feeling this is a story I'm not going to get a copy of? Uh that would be correct. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get back to Kathy loving her and her her situation. Yes. So, she she gets thrown in the paddy wagon with a bunch of other young ladies that have been had their fate sealed as well and um she uh, you know, on her way up to Geneva, she starts talking to the driver, this sheriff's deputy. About, you know, her her uh, dad had been abusing her and the only reason she's going to Geneva is because he was a cop and he kind of turned everyone against her. And um, so, yeah. you know, they get there and the driver's driver, for whatever reason, his, you know, heart softens a bit and he says, OK, well, Kathy, you t- tell me some people who can help you and I-, I will go track them down. And so then he goes and get those gets those friends and connects them with a social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few weeks later, Kathy meets with the social worker and, and says, you know, how the deputy deputy had been on her side. And a couple of weeks after that, she was declared an emancipated minor and re- released to um her her friends and extended family uh and then uh you know she really went on to do some things with her life it's pretty unspecific but there's like a picture of her as an adult with was it like gerald ford or jimmy carter or something oh i must have missed that somehow it was really quick but it was with it was definitely one of those two oh that's cool that's she really uh she really channeled her energy into making the world a better place. Yeah. So, so the lost love portion of this, obviously, she's not looking for her stepfather. Um, she is looking for the sheriff's deputy that believed her and and helped her um, helped her out. So, I, the, unfortunately, in this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, yes, of course, there's an update because with every lost loves, like somebody gets calls the call center and knows who that person is and all that stuff but we don't actually get the reunited film we just get some white text saying that kathy was able to find this person connect with this person fred fred lyle mm-hmm. and um it was actually fred who had called the call center himself saying he he knew that's me this young woman now yeah here, now here's something i gotta pose real quick because i'm looking at the wiki yeah. for this story and they got yeah. a couple of pictures of of a they do <laughs> of a reunion. Is that just supplemental pictures that somehow they got their hands on, or did like was there an actual reunion update that some for some reason we were cheated out of? I don't. I really don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know. 
I'm just going to blame Amazon. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's just the system failing with with the exception of Fred, Fred Lyle. It's just yeah. the system failing Kathy over and over and over again. And and to hear her talk about her hope diminishing every single time she has an inter- interaction with somebody who is supposed to help her, it's it's pretty heartbreaking. So, I mean, right. she she at the young age of 14 was surrounded by people who were supposed to protect her either from her cops. I mean, we're supposed to her family first and foremost is supposed Mm -hmm. to protect her and they abused her. And then, and then the cops are supposed to help her and they just handed her right back to her abuser. And then she's punished even further by the court system by being sent away to this reform school. So, yeah, it's this is pretty uh it's pretty fucking depressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I know, mean, obviously but... it it the the implication I mean is is kind of sad to think about like how many young girls just were abused and then they ended up in jail. Uh god. Yeah, I'm sure not all of them had cops for dads, but Oh, well, yeah, I guess I guess he he had an extra layer of protection because of that. Yeah. But I mean, um, I mean, heck, but like in the 50s, couldn't like if if you're some someone's husband, couldn't you just basically be like go to the doctor and be like, "Hey, you know, my wife's really depressed all the time and it's bumming me out. Can you just like set her up with a lobotomy so she's not so sad?" Um, that feels a little bit more Victorian, but I'm sure it happened. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that that was happening in the, in the, the fifties. Well, maybe not like literally, but sort of, you know, if you're a husband, you can kind of like gaslight your depressed wife into thinking that she's, you know, something's wrong with her, you know, other than being in a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, I mean, it certainly continues to this day. Yes. Um, so uh shall we move on from yeah let's talk about new age stuff actually rather a murder um and new age stuff the segment uh is it's it's the segment is labeled as an unexplained death um Mm -hmm. but i'm I really feel it should be more a wanted, but that's trivial stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes us to uh, it takes us to a young woman named Beverly McGowan, who that's right. Yes, um, the segment starts. They sort of describe how like all of a sudden these letters and stuff start start showing up to people allegedly from her, where she's like, I. Um, I'm, I'm selling off all my stuff. I'm leaving. I'm doing, going to go do something or ever. Um, and you know, uh, people are like, what, what, what's going on? Uh, two of her friends, a guy and a gal, they come over to check on her apartment and the guy's holding a tire iron. So, um, I guess they were expecting foul play could be involved. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and basically, you know, they find that like most of her stuff's still there, but certain things are missing. And 
we then sort of we jump back several weeks in the timeline and they describe how Beverly, who uh, I believe she worked at a bank, she Mm. was looking for a roommate. And so naturally, this sets up uh, a a single white female situation. Uh, Mm -hmm. Her she, she one of her potential roommates is this British woman named Alice um, and who, like Beverly, uh, at least purports to have an interest in new age stuff. And they have this reenactment where Alice is conducting some sort of thing where Beverly gives her numbers. And I guess Alice uses that to discern her future. Um, but it's sort of strange because I would assume the numbers that would be re- required for this sort of operation are things like, mm-hmm. you know, your birth date or, you know, mm-hmm. things along those lines. But, uh, Alice is asking for stuff like her passport number and birth certificate <laughs> information, <laughs> which mm-hmm. to me is kind of, uh, raises a few, a few red flags, just a few. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so once Beverly's handed over this information, Alice tells her like, look, you're going to become super rich. The numbers say you're going to become super rich and you're going to find true love. But be careful. There's a man and a woman who they might be a couple. They may, may not. I'm not sure. But they they're going to deceive and deceive and hurt you. Which when they have that part in the reenactment, I was wondering like, like, is she referring to Beverly's two friends that we say, see at the beginning of the reenactment? Like, I'm, I'm guessing the implication was that this Alice was sort of studying Beverly for prior to this, to the, you know, to trying to move in or whatever, and figured out that she had two friends, a guy and a gal. Is that, is that what you got? That's what I got from this. I don't. I don't know. I was so confused because later there's like a cross-dressing situation. Yeah, so, buying a plane ticket. And... So, so you're you're, you're the, the the yeah the other interpretation is like Alice is going for this bit of irony where she's actually revealing that the the plan and the danger to Beverly that Alice herself is going to inflict. Um. Yeah. So Alice moves in, and then very shortly thereafter, Beverly vanishes. Um, then like, there's like handwritten letters that people and entities start receiving. Like, like, you know, this one letters like basically tells like the bank, like, Hey, just, you know, just take the condo. I'm, you know, for close on, for close on me. I'm, I, I don't care. And, and so forth. And, uh, Beverly's, uh, you know, loved ones are trying to f- figure out, you know, what, what's going on, where, did, where, where did, what happened, and you know, so forth. And very, sh- unfortunately, uh, very shortly later, um, Beverly's body is discovered in a canal somewhere in Florida. Uh, I guess they there there was a tattoo that helped lead to the connection being made that it was her. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I mean, uh, without getting into like the grisly details, and they are grisly. They yeah. whoever had killed Beverly tried to make make it so she was not identifiable, but they missed the tattoo on her ankle. Right, 
and then this is where uh where as you mentioned there they introduce another individual in addition to this Alice who we learn had been using Beverly's credit card in the days immediately after uh Beverly's murder uh and then there's uh we get a, treated to this thing that I don't think they reference again later in the segment. So I don't know if it just turned out to be tangential or whatever, but an individual who to the witness seemed to be a man in women's attire with a dark black wig comes in to arrange uh, plane tickets to London's Heathrow Airport. Yeah, actually, I believe it was described as a cheap Cleopatra type wig. <laughs> That's right. God damn. Which is really specific. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, at first I was like wondering, are, wait, are they suggesting that Alice was actually a male all along? But then that, that, but the, 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 the thing I, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it really, it's, it's, it starts, this segment starts to veer into like Silence of the Lambs territory <laughs> for a second. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, we, 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 like, all they need to do is visit someone to, uh, like some deranged, uh, doctor to get a profile on this individual. Um, yeah. It, and I guess like an added layer of uncertainty that gets added to this is that, mm. Alice and or you know accomplice they didn't actually steal that much mon- money from Mm-mm. Beverly just like a thousand dollars and it's just it's- yeah they they bought some things at a shop using your credit card and then took out three hundred dollars from my ATM so I mean all told it was maybe a thousand dollars I think yeah that seems so that just seems so strange because it's like you put in the amount of time it took in to set this up and, mm-hmm. and you didn't just like, cle- I mean, it'd be one thing if you, you know, you do a quick grab uh, smash into someone's apartment and you're just like rant, you know, like uh, ransacking drawers, just trying to grab whatever is readily available. But I mean, if mm-hmm. you've murdered someone and you know, you, you've had like a couple of days to study the, the place, <laughs> I'd expect that you would be trying to like maximize how much money you're getting off of this. Uh, so, I mean, it just, unfortunately just, it adds a bit to the heartbreak that like, you know, there, the, the, Beverly was all of her friends lost her for just a relatively trivial sum of money. So it's like, you know, it's like, right. The, yeah. Um, and so we get an update, uh, where they actually they they track down the quote unquote Alice, um, mm. who was a her name was Elaine, patient parent, something parent yeah and yeah. she looks a a little bit like in the picture they show she looks a little bit like Brigitte Nielsen. Yes. <laughs> I am so glad you brought up Brigitte Nielsen, <laughs> uh, and we're, we're t- and of course we're talking like. Celebrity rehab era, appreciate not mm-hmm. not Red Sonia, yeah. um, era. Not Red Sonia, no, definitely def- celebrity rehab. Wasn't she on? Uh, no, it was something else. It was like 
uh, well, celebrity. It was that's when she fell in love with Flavor Flav. Oh wait, uh, some VH1 show. Yeah, well, yeah, they 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 had their program together, Fla- Flavor of Love, but they they right. they met on another. Before that, they met on another VH1 program. Maybe it was the surreal. Yeah. Was it the surreal life? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, I think that's what that was called. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm I'm sorry, Brigitte Nielsen. I did not mean to suggest that <laughs> you needed to be on Doctor Drew's Celebrity Rehab. Um. <laughs> Do you know Brigitte Nielsen had a baby when she was like sixty, like recently? Holy shit! Really? Yeah. No, really. That's really man. That's uh, that's kind of impressive. Um, you know, she was in this uh, program, uh, a, a movie rather, uh, I, which I assume mm-hmm. was direct to video, um, where she played the the warden of an all female prison somewhere in Eastern Europe. I saw. Is one- this a, wait, did you say this was a porno? <laughs> Uh, there was a, there was a heavy amount of sexual content to it. <laughs> okay. This was, I saw this on, uh, during a free preview of one of the, uh, cable subscription channels back in the mid 1990s. Okay. This sounds like Cinemax <laughs> material. Oh, it was, to- it was it. totally. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and it was, but I, but what I most distinctly remember about it was, it was the second film. In Chain Team Two, starring Brigitte Nielsen of Rocky Four and Beverly Hills Cop Two. Oh, <laughs> so I guess there was a previous one. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just for some reason that I the idea of that just makes me laugh so hard. Um but yes, uh so um and apparently Elaine Parent had been scamming at like had done a similar scam to like 25 other people, though I guess maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily involving murders. Um mm-hmm. yeah. It's uh, they they called her the chameleon killer. Oh man, they did call her the chameleon killer, which only added to my like uncertainty. Like, wait, are they suggesting that was she was she the person who went into the travel agency? Did she disguise herself as a man, disguising himself as a woman? I don't know, man. (laughs) I unsolved mystery. I don't know what's going on here. This yeah, this segment was was kind of difficult to keep track of. I'm looking at the wiki though, and so part of the the in- investigation was looking for Beverly McGowan's car, which is found at the Miami airport. Mm-hmm. And apparently, in the back of or somewhere in Beverly's car, uh, there were you know there was some hand handwriting and stuff that was linked to Elaine. Um, But there was also Cleopatra wig hairs. That's right. In the car. Yes. So it makes me think that maybe one of Elaine's identities was like a like a trans woman, maybe? Perhaps. With a Cleop- Cleopatra wig. <laughs> Cleopatra. I really wig. don't know. <laughs> how, how, I really don't know what's going on here. How many times have we said Cleopatra wig so far in this episode? Four? Five? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could keep saying Cleopatra wig. <laughs> I'm going to say Cleopatra really get wig our stats up. whenever the occasion calls for it, you know? Um, hey, so... We, uh, we got one more segment to talk about. Is that what you're going to say? Sure. Wait, no, I was going to say we didn't say what happened to Elaine when she oh, was found out. Yeah. Remind me again, what did happen to her? She, she ended up in prison, okay. right? No, no. The white we get some we get some white text that basically says um, at some other point in the future, uh, a, someone identified uh, a Lane parent living as Darlene Thompson in Panama City, Florida. So looking at the wiki, that was actually Elaine was featured on America's Most Wanted in two thousand two. Okay. So this was not an unsolved mysteries tip. Ah, this is so America's that, Most Wanted tip. That's what. That's why. That's why we're not getting a full update. Right. Right. We're not we're also not getting a full update because when the cops came to arrest Elaine Parent, she said she would go for th- with them um, willingly. But she just wanted to change her clothes really quick. Oh, yes. She went to jail <laughs> and then she went in the bedroom and uh, took her life with a, a three fifty seven Magnum to the head. That's right. I forgot about that for some reason. <laughs> So we're really not going to get to the bottom of like the Cleopatra wig situation. No, or, no, th- that that part of the mystery is going to be unsolved forever. Yeah. Hey, um, do you want to talk? You want to talk about this this last uh seg, last seg here? I do. There's a couple of things I want to mention. So as as you're talking, I'll break in and. Yeah, just uh, just jump right in, man. Yeah. Just yeah. get in there. Okay. Uh, let's see. Where do we even start with this shit? All right. Uh, this is a wanted segment. Mm-hmm. And um, it's about Sal and Sally. Uh, now, Sally Garrity and her sister Sherry were raised by their aunt in San Francisco. Uh, their aunt Lydia is also interviewed in this segment. She'll come up later. Um, now as, uh, Unsolved Mysteries makes painfully clear to us over and over again, (laughs) um, Sally, Sally, her sister and aunt have some, uh, Native American heritage. And I did um, note the appearance of flute music. Yeah. Um, here's the thing I noticed in the rest of this, the segments of this episode is nobody's race or ethnicity mentioned once and we we take it we take a turn here when we need to mention uh sally and sherry and and lydia are all of i think shoshone uh heritage they're they're also half white i think um and i i understood this yeah to just be a free pass to bring out the pan flute music (laughs) (laughs) uh just don't just don't do it just if you're thinking, if you're like, hey, you're an editor and you're like, oh, fucking nailed it. I'm going to Native American. Let's go. Pan flute music all the way through the segment about uh, domestic violence. Just maybe don't. Don't do that. Um, right. It's it, not, it belongs. It's not like the Pat Robertson thing. It's not like they added a soundtrack <laughs> where they were playing like gospel music. And it's not like or or just, you know, like churchy rock music. Church, they didn't do that. Churchy so. rock. Yeah. And with uh, uh, this this last segment, they didn't play. Um, who's what's a famous band from Florida? I, Some 41. 
Anyway, sorry, I should not have interrupted. I don't actually know. <laughs> but yes, the, the, the pan uh, okay. flute music yes. returns. Yes, the pan flute music is back. I, I, you know, I don't mind it too much when we're doing like old, old west, old timey segments. But yeah, it's just this was just weird. You guys don't don't do it. Put it in the bin with the ching chong music. Just get it out of here. It's bad. Don't use it. Just just mail it um, all out. So Sally <laughs> Garrity, uh, she's out. She's out shooting some pool, you know, hustling, making that money. Mm-hmm. She meets this guy named Sal Guardado. And uh, they start dating. Seems like a real prince. Um, the reenactment. Her- the reenactment almost seems to suggest that they would not have met if she hadn't like bumped his knee with her pole cue. I, yeah, it's I, a real. It's a real meat cute I, situation. I, I, I feel like that's just a interpretation by unsolved mysteries and not mm. what literally happened. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely not that. Um, uh, yeah, and we're probably getting most of this from our sister Sherry anyway, who's interviewed in the segment. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so Sally's all excited, and she calls her sister, and she's just like, "Oh, I think he's the one. He's really great." Like the, and then um, the criteria that gets listed for for him being the one is that like he has a car and a job. Well, sometimes that's all it takes. I... Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, a few days later, Sh- Sherry, Sherry and Lydia uh, go-, go with Sally to meet Sal at his uh, job at a pizza parlor. I-, mm-hmm. I also think another criteria of moving this relationship along was the Sal and Sally connection. That seems right to be the real thing here. They they, they seemed yeah. really, really enamored with the idea. Like, hey, Sal and Sally. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's like if I was dating a guy named Chris. <laughs> Have you ever dated anyone named Chris? I don't think so. No. Well, that's fortunate. I don't think I have. <laughs> hey, Chris I, and Crystal. I have... <laughs> I, listen, this is weird though. I have s- well, ostensibly dated um two guys named Nicholas with the middle name Alexander after the first or the last Tsar of Russia. <laughs> of course you have. I so <laughs> I should I mean, have just that, assumed but... that would be the case. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, but no, Chris, no Christophers. Weirdly, in the uh-huh. long and storied uh, list of my dating life. So, uh, anyway, a week into the shit, Sal proposes marriage, but he has to like take out a loan for a diamond ring. So already we're like, oh, okay, this is like yeah, you know, and then the relationship sign. begins to deteriorate. He, he loses, loses his, job, his job. His car was repossessed. He has to move in with Lydia. He gets starts being really ch- shitty. Uh, I guess uh, he's moving in with Lydia, but like Sally lives there too. I don't know. Rent in San Francisco is expensive, so I assume everybody's just living together at this point. Right. Um, he's you know he's just being being a real piece of shit. Uh, so. Sally though she makes she makes Native American jewelry and whatever and they really uh, really lean into that aesthetic uh, about midway through this <laughs> through this segment. Uh, so they so they decided to go to this quote unquote Native American festival. Um, I'm just really glad that Unsolved Mysteries didn't say powwow oh here. That would have been bad. That very yeah. So that been really bad. although uh, Native American festival is like really unspecific. 
I don't know what that is. A nice, good, equivocal, ambiguous description. I guess. But more importantly, Sally can make some money selling her jewelry there. So mm-hmm. they so I'll go to this festival and then um you know, Sally t- S- Sally takes Sherry, her sister aside, and is like, this guy's a jerk. Gotta get him out of here. And then and then there's a reenactment where like at the end of the festival like uh, Sal and Sally were going to take the train home and Sherry had to like drive this van that she borrowed back to her friend that she borrowed it from. And then like Sal's trying to like steal the van or something. (laughs) That's what it feels like. He's like really insistent. Like, Hey, you should let me drive the van uh, back, you know, back to San Francisco. Yeah. And, and you know, the the sister's like, I can't do that. I borrowed it from someone. I need to get back. Don't lie to me like that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this guy sucks. Uh, and then at some point in 1985, I guess this all takes place in 1985, uh, Sally gets a ride home from her job where she works um, by a male friend of hers. Uh, and then Sal notices it and he goes into a rage. And then Lydia, the aunt, comes home in the middle of the argument. And then and then Sal's like throws 20 bucks at her. It's like, give me cigarettes. Yeah, and it's basically what? a way to get... Lydia out of the house. What yeah. stuck out to me when Lydia came home, I mean, you know, obviously the, yeah. they they both stop yelling at each other when she walks in, but you know, and as soon as she enters the kitchen, they resume. But did you notice that, like, upon entering the kitchen, she, you know, she decided to make a sandwich, obviously to, you know, just what else are you got to do when you awkwardly walk into mm-hmm. a argument like that? But when she goes over to the counter. The sandwich bag is already open. She just reaches in and takes out a couple of pieces of bread. I realize there's probably, Mm. they probably did that because it's easier to film. But think Mm -hmm. about that. Like, I'm, because I always, Mm -hmm. always, always Mm -hmm. retie up the bag of bread before. Yeah, that bread's going to get stale. Yeah, it's going to get, you got to tie it up. It's going to be very, you got to tie it up. Yeah. Got to, got to tie that bread up. Mm hmm. <laughs> so Lydia is making a sandwich, um, and then she leaves, and and then gets comes back with cigarettes. She comes back, and the television set is on, and uh, Lydia's like, "Yo, idiot! I got your cigarettes." And then Sal comes from behind her and strikes her on the head repeatedly with his bowling ball. Oh my god! So, like, and so it is, anyway, it was so horrifying listening to Lydia describe like how she could yeah. like hear the sound of her bones breaking as he like slams the bowling ball into her face. Yeah. Um, and then she she talked about hearing the bowl the ball roll away as if it were at like a bowling, bowling alley, alley on their floor. Yeah. It was pretty I don't know, this isn't great. I don't like the segment. Yeah. Uh anyway, <laughs> about forty five minutes later, um Lydia comes to, she finds Sally dead in the bedroom. She had been strangled to strangled to death. Uh, you know, she Lydia goes over to her neighbors and has them call nine one one. Uh, Lydia survived the attack. Sally obviously didn't. Um, Sal has fled, and then he was wanted. Uh, and then so and so and so we here we are another wanted segment. But this time, we get some really official like uh, like dossier. Oh, I'm so graphics. glad you bring it. Yes, this is like the first time I've seen this sort of graphic. They they mm-hmm. they have like this sort of you know this new background. With, with with like this force perspective like you know long hallway with blue blue 
tile sort of thing. And then, yes, they bring up his picture with all of his, his, his vital stats. It is. Yeah. It is impressive. They're like, it had his, like, favorite brand of cigarettes and, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, man, do we get an update on this, though? No. Oh, well, I guess he just got away with it. Yeah. So. They also mentioned like places he might be because I guess he was of Mexican descent. So there, so unsolved mysteries like he might be in Mexico, might be in Puerto Rico, might be Florida or Hawaii, and it's like okay, he might be anywhere. I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's a interesting set of four places that they listed there. Um, yeah. Well, God, this sucks. Not how I like to end yeah. these episodes. Um, so if you see, if you come across a guy named Sal, who um, at this point would be like in his early 70s, and yeah. he's, you know, then this guy, you know, is like a real piece of shit loser who doesn't have a job, yeah. likes to go bowling. Um, yeah. Please. Well, let's not confuse him, confuse him with the dude. Oh God! You know Sorry. What I mean? Sorry. Yeah, I guess. Gosh, there is kind of some overlap, isn't there? Well, you know, except for the murder. Well, yeah, stuff. no, no. Obviously, the dude is like the light side of that coin. Hmm. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. Oh. <sighs> uh. Hey. Uh. Robbie. Do you want me to say the thing where we end our show? Our, our little um, send off. No, actually, I. I I, I thought we might do something a little bit different today. That's okay. That is fine. Tell me about this um, thing. This thing. So uh, I don't. You know, this is going to come out sometime in. I don't. I think June June tenth, two thousand twenty, will be the release date of this episode. And uh, you know, I there's a lot going on in the world right now, as everyone knows. I don't know. I I truly don't know in six days from when we're recording this to when we release it, what the world's going to look like then. But I am pretty certain um, that uh, we will still be experiencing the aftermath of the uh, killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, Typically our podcast, and I will remain by this, we are an apolitical podcast. We want this to be a space where people can get away from current events and, and chill and think about something else for a while. Uh, Unfortunately, I think because, so much of what we discuss and specifically even in this episode has to do with how um, black people in this country are treated by the criminal justice system and the police um, that we feel very strongly. It is an apolitical but morally righteous statement to say that black lives matter. So that is the stance of this podcast. And I will be dropping in the show notes for this episode next week. So when you are looking at your iTunes or whatever info, what podcatcher description for the episode, I'm going to be putting in a link uh, to donate to an organization that supports Black Lives Matter. Um, I uh, I can't think of anything uh, that's simpler to support or buy into than that statement. I don't really feel like there's a gray area on that one. So we we did, we talked before the podcast and we decided that we were uh, we were going to jump on. So um, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, 
yeah, I, I, this is, we, while we are apolitical, we do have to recognize oftentimes in talking about unsolved mysteries, uh, how justice is arrived at and delivered differently for different groups of people. And that's just a fact and has been for many, many years in this country. So, um, we, we, uh, hope you guys can spare a little coin for a cause. Yes. Yes. Please. Uh, and and if if you're able to. Please do. Yes, if you're able to, please do. Please do. Uh, and 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 we're we're saying that now in light of dropping all the information for our social. Because at this point, if you don't know how to find us, I I don't really know how to help you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all that said, we hope you rumpers are staying safe out there. I know my my neighborhood got real crazy earlier this week, and um. And it wasn't because of protesters. It was because of a lot of noise from news helicopters and police helicopters. Uh, so we we are staying safe, um, staying inside because of uh, COVID and and everything else, and um, trying kind trying to use our platform in a good way. I hope. I I think probably if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably as justice minded as as Robbie and I are. So. Absolutely. Okay, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? <laughs> yes, I will do the thing. And thanks to our viewers, a woman in Tennessee has finally found her natural mother. Join me for their heartwarming reunion next time on Unsolved Mysteries.